Hey, what's going on, everybody? It's your boy, Val Cisco, dropping some knowledge about Anchor. Guys, have you ever wanted to record your own podcast? Don't you want millions and millions of people to listen to what you have to say, whether it's about Zeus, whether it's about sports, whether it's about everything that's going on in the world of quarantine? Guys, what are you waiting for? Download Anchor. Anchor basically is a one-stop shop for all your podcast needs. It has creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or your computer. Number two, it's free. Guys, it's free. There's not a lot of freebies out there, so grab this. And of course, Anchor will distribute your podcast so you can be heard from different places like Spotify, iHeartRadio, Apple Podcasts, and many, many, many more. You can make money off your podcast too with minimum listenership. So right there, guys, like, listen, this is a no-brainer. Download Anchor. It's pretty fantastic. I love it. Hell, thank you, Anchor, for giving me the platform to speak about all the random things that I do. Uh, it's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. So please, once again, download Anchor. You can download it off the Apple Play Store, the, the Google Store. I don't know if you guys have Blackberries out there still. Uh whatever is out there download it it's freaking phenomenal you guys won't regret it take care ciao What's going on, everybody, and welcome to another great edition of Pop 5, always brought to you by Sideshow Conversations. It's me, Mr. Thrasher, and Slasher himself, Val Cisco, and of course, I do have a guest with me, Mr. Mosh of the Posh, all the way from England. What's up, Jake? How you doing? Hey, Frank. How you doing, man? I can't complain, man. It's pretty um awesome. This is going to be a subject that we've been... I'm dying to do for a long time. We always talk about um, this form of music. We always have debates on which is the better artist or better song or better album. And today we're kind of kind of put it to the test. This week's episode is top five metal albums. How do you feel about that? I'm, I'm excited. I mean, it was, uh, I mean, across the board, there's a lot of great, a lot of great albums, a lot of great artists, even if they just had like, you know, one hit wonders or more so like one great albums and then no more. Uh, so it's a very, it, it's a conversation that can go on for hours, but I'm, I'm excited for it. Now, there's not a lot of rules when it comes to this. My only rule I will say is this, no greatest hits, because that would in fact be the best album of all time. <laughs> no, no, no greatest hits. I would agree. <laughs> 
let me pose this question to you before we start the conversation. What do you feel consists of a great metal album? A great metal album. Uh, I mean, you know, there's a couple of things that really go onto it. It's um, what I what I say is what makes a great metal album is its impact that it had on the on the music of, uh, of its time, um, the culture of its time, and its legacy that it continued to progress and you know who it inspired you know later on. I think that's what really makes a great metal album. I love that answer. Me myself. I definitely, I agree with you. It has to stand the test of time and it has to have a movement behind it as well, too. There has to make people feel a certain way. You know, metal is very diverse. You can go into different brands of death metal, thrasher metal, new metal, so many forms of metal, hair metal for, for, from, from the 80s. There's so many Pirate styles. metal. Pirate metal. There you go. Um, dip your toe into any um, any pond of the metal category and it still makes you feel a certain way. So I definitely feel like if it's going to make somebody feel something from the inside and out, make them thrash, make them bash, that's a definitely great metal album. But let's start off with your number five. My number five, um, Troll, this is um, actually like one of my least favorite bands, but um, because of the conversation and because of, like the album itself, um, I think I think it has to be given the credit that it's due. Um, I'm gonna give it to uh, Guns N' Roses' "Appetite for Destruction." Um, their 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 um, you know their premiere album you know for for their music. Again, they're my they're one of my least favorite bands, um, but uh, that uh, I've heard several artists um, of now refer to. Appetite, of Destru- Appetite for Destruction. Why? Because, I mean, you really think about it, and it's not just because it had nothing but hits, because, I mean, that's really what it did. I mean, there was just, like, constant hits on there. Um, Welcome to the Jungle, uh, Sweet Child of Mine, uh, you know, uh, everything that you hear from Guns N' Roses really all came from this album. Um, but they were, they, they kind of set themselves apart from everything that was going on at the time. I mean, it, it, this album was released in what, 87. And so back then, you know, that's when hair metal really went to the, um, the ballads. It was in the ballad stage at that time. You know, everyone was just making, you know, the, the really emotional, um, I'm a tough guy, but I got feelings kind of, uh, which I mean, I'm not going to shit on it because you know, it's, it's something to enjoy, but you know, these are like the punk guys of, of heavy metal, you know, they had like a pop kind of feel to it. You know, they had like the bad boy antics. They'd like, like they just not give a shit, uh, kind of, um, appeal to them and uh this album has really has stood the test of time so uh i think that's why i would give it number five as far as you know greatest uh metal albums of all time definitely definitely the the combination of ballads uh awesome riffs and solos really did encapsulate what the 80s was all about even though it was the late 80s it really just sunk in together what that era of music was. The sex appeal, the makeup, the different kinds of characters in the band, the way the music was performed on stage and in the, uh, the studio as well, too. The bas- backstage antics of, you know, an Axl Rose and a Slash. Mm-hmm. You know, it really, it, it does stand the test of time. And of course, Welcome to the Jungle, 
the one, if not their biggest hit of all time, really stands the test of time with that album. Yeah, no, um, and and you know the other you know crazy thing about it is that you know this um, this album and this band actually did not get the appreciation. Of, uh, this was a band that nobody wanted to talk about. This was a band that people ignored. So it took them a while before it suddenly just started selling. And I think it was because of their live shows. People saw them live, they heard the music and was like, holy shit, this is good. This isn't just good, this is great. So, you know, they, it was it was a great close for the 80s. Like I said, the 80s were starting to, as far as like heavy music goes and heavy metal bands goes, it was starting to basically fall apart. But, you know, they gave it a good close. They gave a nod to what uh, heavy metal was back in the 80s. And, um, you know, they were everything that was, heavy metal so yeah definitely do you have any last uh i guess opinions lasting opinions on axel rose as a person um do you think um because of his antics that's why guns and roses is not as big as it should be today um yeah i mean his antics i mean um he, he's just a stereotypical uh i mean i don't want to say they're typical but i mean we i think we all saw it coming i mean his guy was a dick um, apparently that was one of the reasons why him and Slash didn't get along because, you know, the guy would beat his wife, you know, and now he's triple, a- triple Axel Rolls, um, five, triple the size of what he used to be. And he still tries to do that shuffle. So I mean, you know, um, yeah, that, was, that, that had to be part of their demise. And then, you know, they are also, one of the other things is, you know, they had a really bad, I mean, there's bands that had bad breakups, but I think Guns N' Roses had a really bad breakup uh, and just nothing that would ever work out again. So, Yeah, I, I definitely, they, they are, are part of that um, band history where in those, that late 80s from 85 to 90, a lot of these bands that came up really were a young man's game. You were in and you were out. You were hot one day and not the next day because you were a dime a dozen. Mm-hmm. And, you know, even though Guns N' Roses still tests, uh, you know, it tests time with their singles from their albums, I do feel with the self-destruction of Axl Rose and Slash to some degree as well, too, in his early days, um, they definitely could have been so much better than what they are perceived to be right now. Yeah, that's true. Now, what's your number five? I want to go something a little bit more recent. It still passes the 15-year marker, which is pretty crazy in my opinion. I remember buying this album and Sam Goody in New York City when I was a young lad, you know, getting my my real taste of of different kind of metal music. You know, when I was young, I had very, very uh, different palette when it comes to music, whether it's jazz, whether it's metal, whether it's funk. It was all out there. But this album really resonated to me. It came out in 2002 and it's it's highly criticized as one of the best but most controversial albums of this band's history this is 2002's disturbs believe yeah all right and in my opinion it's one of their better albums number one it's their first album to hit number one in the music charts two i feel like with their first album with the sickness, they were still experimenting with certain types of sound where it wasn't believed they really honed down those riffs, those ballads in the songs. They really brought together everything, whether it was religious undertones or lyrical styles, it was all formed together. And of course, the music videos that accompanied with this album, the the, the dark undertones of, you know, religious um, tyranny, songs like, you know, um, 
going back in the day. Prayer, prayer, remember, liberate. Things of those. That's just one, two, and three off the album right there that are giant successes off this album alone. Hell, it was banned off of MTV for a hot minute because of the dark undertones with the religious content inside of it. It's one of my favorite albums because of the fact that I had that teenage angst growing up. I was like, you know what? Fuck the... Oh, the, the 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 religious Catholicism church, you know, fuck the monarchy, you know, fuck everything right now. I'm down with the sickness. I'm down with disturbed right now. And I just remember it was a fond part of my childhood. I I agree. Um, I mean, honestly, believe. Um, so whenever they came out with the sickness, I mean, the sickness was just like uh, I I it was just a fantastic album. And one thing that I always remembered from the sickness was um, the cover art. Like, it, yeah. I, I, I never knew what the fuck it was. I, I, I mean, I don't think many people really knew what the fuck it was, but it, it gave us, like, it, it was something very refreshing. And then when they came out with Believe, I was, I, I can listen to that album from beginning to end and, and barely skip any songs on there because it's just that dad go the album. And I think that's where they really solidified their sound as Disturbed. Um, unfortunately, you know, after that, it just, it just became like pretty stagnant and it was like a very repetitive sound. It's like, as soon as you hear it, you already know, like, oh, that's disturbed. You know, that, that, yeah. that same, uh, fucking detuned, not even detuned, I think they're standard tuning fucking, you know, chords, <laughs> um, being, being strummed. So, uh, but Believe is a fantastic album and Prayer, uh, is going to be like my favorite, uh, disturbed song of all time. You know, you were mentioning cover art from that first album with Sickness. I think the cover art with this album was fantastic as well, too. It brought every single religion together, formulated in one cover art. You had things of Judaism, Christianity, Catholicism, Buddhism, everything, witchcraft, uh, Satanism, all into one. And it just gave you, like, what you were buying is what you were going to get yourself into in this album. If you wanted to talk about dark undertones in the religious society, yes. If you wanted to talk about conforming to society, yes. Breaking out of society, liberating your mind, liberating your thought process. It was such an ideal album for an age where people were just looking to break out and just do something different. It was such a product of that time frame as well, too. The early 2000s was a pivotal year when it came to music. It was either make or break for a lot of artists. And I think this one, it made Disturbed. But I can really talk about the deep religious undertones of this album all day, mm-hmm. every day, especially with the lead singer being, you know, an Orthodox Jew talking about Christianity. That's another subject entirely. Let's get into your number four. My number four, this one was a little bit tough to give, um, but uh, I was a little bit biased when I chose this one. Um, I'm going to give number four to um, Power Slave by Iron Maiden. Um, because personally, that's, I mean, Iron Maiden has to make the list of any great or, you know, uh, top metal albums of all time. Iron Maiden has to do it because, uh, I mean, Iron Maiden really established what it means to be a heavy metal band and what it means to make metal music. And, you know, that's part of their imagery, their sound, their, um, uh, when you really think about it, compared to like other metal bands, you know, they were a classic storytelling kind of band. You know, they, um, they, they made references to old folklore. One of the original bands to do that and to do it very well. 
Um, and it's also a band that, um, and this is why I love Power Slave so much, because compared to their other albums, Power Slave is one of those albums where the music does most of the storytelling rather than the lyrics um, throughout it, uh, especially uh, with, you know, the cover art being very Egyptian, you know, um, it has a classic uh, depiction of Eddie, you know, as, as, a, as a, a, a stone god, you know, in a pyramid. But then you have the song itself, Power Slave, and how it ends, just the ending of Power Slave, where it has that Egyptian kind of flair to it as it's ending. I mean, it was just a great song. And then you have um, Aces High, Aces High, um, being a nod to, um, you know, World War One and World War Two with the dogfights, you know, trying to jump into your plane and try to basically do or die uh, kind of thing. And... Um, Ancient Rhymes of the Mariner is another very good song. It's a longer song, um, but this is a this is a, a great Iron Maiden album that just wasn't overdone. Because there are some songs that just like extend far too long, and then there's a lot there's other Iron Maiden songs where I'm just like, eh. But uh, Power Slave was just a, a great album, um, and uh, out of all their out of all their albums, I mean, again, there's songs and hits on you know several out there but this is a whole great album entirely and i believe it was bruce dickinson's third um album with iron maiden and so by this album i mean he really found himself his sound and his iconic voice and uh it was just a solid just very solid definitely definitely Iron Maiden is such a, a, a prolific band when it comes to the history of metal, mismatching things of folklore. If you want to take a ride down, you know, Tolkien's bag of history and look at things like elves and, and you know, um, hobbits with giant freaking metal rips attached to them, Iron Maiden is the place to go. Not only do they have great storytelling, Iron Maiden definitely, because uh, they are storytellers, Course, that's such a album because of the fact of the storytelling. In my, mm. I mean, and and you know, across the board, I mean, they've always had some of the best musicians. Um, I know they've gone through a couple of a uh, couple of uh, singers, couple of guitarists, and and drummers, but you know, each one has had something to give into it. And you know, they're, they're I mean, when it just comes to guitars itself, I mean, they've always had great, amazing guitar players just kind of lead lead the way and draw up the song themselves and then Steve Harris being one of the, the all-time best basses ever I mean because that dude plays like no other business I mean he can he can just like um gallop with his fingers on a bass like nobody's business um and of course you know Bruce Dickinson and his um iconic singing it's just it, it was just a good album definitely definitely and out of all the albums uh that Iron Maiden has produced why do you think this one right here stands the test of time um, because it wasn't, like I said, um, compared to other ones, I mean, um, I, I'm, I'm a huge Iron Maiden fan, but there are albums that I can pass up and I have no problem doing it. Like number of the beast is okay. It just, um, I think people will only refer to number of the beast for either number of the beast or hollow be thy name. Um, peace of mind has the trooper, but power slave, I think power slave is a whole good album. And I think when it comes to iron maiden, I don't think they really have full good, full good albums, but power slave is that album that's good from start to finish. 
I love it. I love it. Power Slave, great album. Iron Maiden, even better band. They will last forever. If you want to introduce someone to the history of metal, put on any Iron Maiden album and your mind's going to be blown. Yep. Agreed. My number four, it's still relatively in, I want to say, the last 20 years. Hell, this album hits 20 this year specifically. Um, so I can say that's a classic album, in my opinion, if it stands the test of time within the 20-year limit. Um, definitely hit the top five in the 200 billboards. That's saying something originally right there. And I got to be biased, too, because of the fact that he is one of my all-time favorite artists. Um, that goes with filmmaking. That goes with music. That goes with art in general. You know, in 1997 to 1998, White Zombie had a fallout. And at that time... Rob Zombie had a choice, either go home or go big. And of course, in 1998, he released Hillbilly Deluxe. And in a mixture of creep show fanatics with a sense of Dr. Demento splashed in there, this style of metal music, hard riffs, creepy storytelling, and demented videos captivated uh, uh, an audience this day loves the blood the guts the sex and rock and roll this album itself really in my opinion made rob zombie to what he is like i was saying with the creep show aspect you know having his videos with his wife girlfriend at the time sherry moon just being introduced in these videos at these old 1970s creep show videos in his um music videos things like call the zombie Super Beast, his hit song, Dragula, you know, Living Dead Girl. These songs spoke to a generation that loved the horror movie um, genre and metal music. And bringing that together, I think we haven't seen that since maybe the early 80s into the 70s, mixing music and horror movies together. There's such a great, like, it's like Peter Bunn and Jelly, in my opinion. And this album alone Still, you could put this on and bang your head to Super Beast all you want. I love Rob Zombie. <laughs> this is my number four. Uh, I mean, I actually, I was, it's very surprising for me. Um, but I would have to agree with that, especially because, again, uh, it, it goes into what makes a metal album great. That it provided with it, um, you know. When you talk about horror and and uh, music, you know, people will. I want to say about ninety percent of people will refer to Misfits. Misfits was one of the first to really do that and really really showcase that. Uh, but more yep. so with their look. But um, I think that um, Rob Zombie um, added more of a sound to go with the look. Uh, I mean, yes, uh, Misfits had that look, but it was like more punk. And, and it, I mean, the, the, the lyrics of the songs did the job, but I think it was the lyrics, the music, and the imagery that um, Rob Zombie gets. So he got what was given and made it better. So I'd have to agree, and I'd have to give it that, yeah. You know, uh, he is the definition of what performance art is. And it's mm -hmm. not just looking at, you know, the performance as well. It's just hearing it. Every song is very different. It tells a story, a creepy story. If you're into things like House on Haunted Hill, if you're into the old slasher movies of the 70s where the girl always dies at the end of the movie, you're going to get that in every song you listen to. Yes, it's demented. Yes, it has... Uh, demonic themes involved with it, but it's showmanship, and he really takes it to the ninth, ninth degree. He took what what uh, people like Dio, people like Manson, people uh, like Alex Cooper did, 
with that shock rock value and mm-hmm. brought it up to an 11 with his performance in his storytelling. And I think that's why it stands the test of time because until then, like an Alice Cooper or, or even a Dio, we really haven't seen that kind of shock rock before, that metal mixed with horror. And I think Rob Zombie found that niche and rolled with it. Yeah, no, I mean, you're right. Especially because like by that time, um, a, a theatric kind of show was like starting to dissipate. And so all you had was just performance, just performance yeah. and music. And there are some people who will argue that's all you need. If you're a good band, that's all you need. But I mean, that's always been a huge benefit of metal was that you have created bands that will think outside the box and actually give you a show. And by that time, I think he helped reignite that um, aspect of metal. Oof, oof, oof. I'm already hot. I'm already getting twisted over here. Let's get into <laughs> your now. Go into yours. What is your number three? My number three. So back in 1983, we got a very interesting mix of two different sounds. A band that had a hard time trying to find a gig because they were seen as one way and then seen as another way, depending on what venue you went to and what scene. Uh, if you haven't guessed it, um, this is Metallica's Kill em All album. Ooh, yes. uh, yeah, I'm sorry, but you know, uh, when growing up, I specifically, and I remember looking at this album and I had refused to listen to it because I was just so scared. <laughs> I was still really new to the rock scene. I wasn't even into heavy metal at that point. I was still in the rock. I was still listening to Kiss and Three Dog Night and, um, uh, 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 what is it? Um, uh, damn it. Docking. Fleetwood Mac, you know, more more easygoing stuff. So when I saw Metallica's Killama album cover, I was frightened. I was like, "What the hell is this? This is scary." But uh, again, that is a, a, a it was an album that mixed two different two different scenes. You had thrash, and then you had metal, and you know they couldn't play a thrash. Uh, joints because they were too metal and they couldn't play at metal joints because they were too thrash but they found a sound they went with it and they did it right and you had uh you know amazing um fresh new minds and fresh new artists um back then when fucking um when uh god how did i forget everybody's name um I mean, you had Kirk Hammett in, in, in his fucking prime. Um, you had uh, Lars, who still had that, you know, very, he still had some singing in him. He still had a very nice, fresh throat. Um, and of course, uh, um, fucking, what's his name, could still drum, uh, whereas Lars kind of struggles now to even kind of, uh, I mean, we can talk about St. Anger all day and just how bad that was, but um, <laughs> <laughs> um, Kill em All is just, is, I'm sorry, but that is a classic album. It is a reason why that is one of their, one of the best albums of all time, because it was especially because as early as it came out in the 80s, compared to the hair metal scene, this gave people with a different sense, a different kind of living, you know, a more kind of party but like uh, early angsty and uh kind of anarchish and just like there to party but in a not so um glamorous way you know it wasn't about it wasn't about the money sex and drugs it was just about 
getting drunk drug and, and drugs sex wasn't really part of it as big as you know as it was with with glam so um and it, again they brought a darker tone to metal at that time too uh so i mean yeah damn good damn good album and of course you got to give your nod to cliff burton oh man cliff burton is all one of the all-time best guitarists ever to walk the, the, the face of this earth and people don't recognize him whatsoever. I don't know what it is. I don't know why he doesn't get, he doesn't get the respect that he truly does deserve as one of the best guitarists out there, but he is a damn great guitarist. And that album right there really signifies what Metallica is all about. Mm-hmm. So that's my number three. All right. Um, let's get into my number three over here. You know, I'm going down the years, and I promise everybody, yes, I'm going to get into something a little bit more classic, but I'm staying true to my roots and what I felt was, personally, my history of time. And in 1996, there was a particular artist who already came out with an album not too long beforehand. And while that album in 1995, Smells Like Children, had mediocre success it wasn't until 1996's antichrist superstar where marilyn manson really rose to prominence manson at that time was okay doing you know a, a tad bit of a shock rock collar mixed with punk vibes but the industrial metal that came with antichrist superstar with apocalyptic themes with cover art that showed the one-winged angel and things of that nature that really encapsulated what shock rock really was. In your face, brutal, maniacal, uh, just a crazy megalomaniac of the music industry that was Manson really defined a generation himself. Like I said before, Rob Zombie, if it wasn't for Manson, we probably wouldn't have that shock rock aspect in the 90s. Manson pulled no stops when it came to this album, you know, promoting it you know, uh, going with, uh, with um, anti-Catholicism themes, going with the whole, um, um, I want to say, Luciferian angle with this. And even though, you know, there are parts of, of history that show him, you know, worshiping, you know, um, the Satanic Bible and things of that nature, this album specifically was more for shock rock. It was, oh, mom and dad, you're going to blame me uh, Meryl Manson for kids shooting each other in school, what well, I'm going to make you blame me now. I'm going to make you hate me. I am going to take the mantle of villain and take it to a thousand. I love this album with songs like The Beautiful People, like Tourniquet, you know, things love uh, Tourniquet. Tourniquet is such a great, diversive song. You know, this, this album had Trent Reznor producing it as well, too, in the mix of different songs as well, too. So many harmonies, so many different songs. One of my favorite songs of all time from this album, people really don't know about it, is Angel with the Scab. I love that fucking song. And if, if people weren't creeped out enough from this album alone, if you go to track 99, because this album went to a whole, to 100. But if you went to track 99 and played it backwards, you would get a hidden message from Manson, which is fabulous. Yeah, uh, I, I'd, I'd have to give that one too. Um, I mean, Ma- Marilyn Manson, I think now, I think people focus too much on what he is now rather than what he did. Um, and I think that's just a mistake because um, there's a lot of people who will give nod to what Marilyn Manson has been able to do. And, you know, a lot of people also don't give him his credit, but he's, he's a genius. Like he's a very sharp, very sharp. He has a very sharp mind. Um, he knows his shit. He knows he's very articulate, but when it comes to writing music, 
he knows he knows how to put a damn good song together um you know with it with its uh hidden messages and it's uh not so subtle messages as well i mean he he always always hits the mark um as far as his writing capabilities yeah there's some there's some albums that fell stale but um antichrist superstar was and like you said i mean he he knew he was a villain and he went with it um you know he just just got what they did and he gave it like four he, he tuned it up to 10 and i mean i, I think it was it, it, it really sh- uh, shot up his career so um you know this is more personal to me too because this was my album you know 1996 you know i can't even remember i was you know loving pro wrestling as always but the same token you know i was into weird shit i went into like backstreet boys going into things like kenny fucking g and you know salsa merengue going back to my puerto rican roots but you know it wasn't until i heard this album i don't know what it was but it lured me into it. It, it. it made me feel a certain way that I never felt before. And, you know, Manson, one of the forefathers of industrial rock, you could throw a tool in there, you could throw Nine Inch Nails in there, but, you know, the list kind of shortens up after that right now. But Manson really took that industrial level of rock and roll, mixing different sounds together, screeches, things that would just make you feel uneasy, mm-hmm. music that would make you feel uneasy and just make you feel like, should I be listening to this? That's what drew me in. And if it wasn't for this album, I probably would not love metal as much as I love today. Different forms of metal. Because after this album, I dabbled into everything else. Mm-hmm. I dabbled into White Zombie. I dabbled into Metallica, Judas Priest, ACDC, things of that nature. It was because of this album that brought me into that world of rock. Yeah. Um, and another thing that uh, really made Manson stand apart is because he wasn't, uh, he also wasn't afraid to experiment with different sounds and different music. I mean, like you said, you know, you had his first two albums that were kind of like, I mean, you had to be a fan at that point to really um, appreciate the, those two albums. But uh, it wasn't until this and further, like me, uh, my personal favorite of his um, has got to be Mechanical Animals. I think Mechanical Animals was like fantastic. I feel uh, there's a lot of people who feel like it was more industrial than it was metal. So they're not um, as keen to it. Uh, but uh, I think uh, uh, Antichrist Superstar was a little bit of everything that Marilyn Manson has been and continue to do it's just it and he can play this whole album live and it will just be the best you know one of my favorite albums from manson you know i love mechanical animals i love hollywood a little bit more as well too but i felt like this album itself was a necessary evil to take that style of shock rock to the next level. If it wasn't for this album, the backlash from this album, the parental advisory from this album, the the the, the separation of church and state coming together to, to revolt against the evil Marilyn Manson, <laughs> this album changed America. There's not a lot of albums that do that, but this man changed the way the Americans looked at music today. And you know what? To all the better, honestly. Yeah. Let's get into yours, though. Get into your number two. My number two. This is going to be uh, pretty easy to uh, guess, but um, they have to be in, in, in that top list. But number two, I'm going to give it to Judas Priest, British Steel. 
Because um, mm-hmm. I mean, Judas Priest. I mean, they're still a band. They're a band that's still going strong. Well, I wouldn't say strong, but I mean, they're still going after so many years. They're still going. Rob Hofford is still hammering out music, but British Steel um, was one of those albums where they really found their sound. Because if you're if you're an, er, a fan of Judas Priest and you listen to their earlier stuff. Right. It was it it wasn't that British heavy metal that you were expecting. It was a lot slower. It was a lot. I mean, um, it was it was more bluesy and jazzy kind of. And if you look at older older videos of um, Judas Priest, you'll see them like Rob Hofford had long flowy hair. They looked like something out of like the sixties, um, but. With British Steel, I mean, um, and they, uh, Judas Priest are actually um, uh, uh, credited with um, uh, starting the whole leather and studs and spikes um, look into metal music. Um, And British Steel was, you know, uh, an ignition for that. I mean, British Steel was where they really took, like, they they helped reignite heavy metal by bringing in uh, that new wave of British heavy metal. Uh, with with tracks like Metal Gods, uh, Breaking the Law, uh, Grinder, Living After Midnight, Living After Midnight. Like I, I I have to listen to that song. Like every time it comes on, or like if I just feel like partying, I will put on Living After Midnight. It's got that great drum opening and just like a very fun party song. So, and then um, I I don't think people give a lot of credit to Glenn Tipton and, and KK Downing, but they are two of the best guitars that has ever lived. They fed off each other. They were one of the early guitarists that, that kind of traded um, the spotlight of um, lead guitarists. And you didn't get that uh, often back in that time because you always had your, your one lead guitarist and your one rhythm guitarist, and that was it. But um, Rob Hofford being, of course, you know, the metal god, being one of the greatest singers of all time and being gay, uh, I mean, British Steel just really knocked it out of the park. Hello? No? Hello? With, with him being a metal god, um, I mean, you know, and, and being gay, um, even though he wasn't out at the time, I mean, I'm pretty sure like everybody, he, he was that gay guy where everyone was just waiting for him to come out. <laughs> but um, he really led a revolution of metal. And um, honestly, they are, they're, they are going to go down in history as the metal gods. Let's talk about that cover art with, uh, with uh, the razor blade looking item right there. How did you feel about that? I mean, it, 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 was, it was like a true image of, of heavy metal. Like if, if you had to just picture what heavy metal looks like, that's what you would get. Um, just that, um, especially because if you knew anything about their history, um, they grew up, especially Rob Hopper, he grew up like across the street from a, a metal factory where they would, um, so he would, he would talk about always be hearing the anvils, like, uh, I mean, the hammer and the anvil, you know, stuff like that. So when you right. try to give an image to heavy metal, that does it right there. I mean, razor blade for like that, that, um, that sharp tone and then you know the metal itself and then you know carelessly holding it in his hand 
like, yeah, like I got this. Uh, it's, it's, yeah, and it's, it's what heavy metal is all about. Yeah, I mean, songs like Metal Gods, you know, Breaking the Law, Breaking the Law, things of that nature, The Rage, you know, The Ripper, things of those, uh, those songs are just, you know, um, gods of the metal histories right there. Hell, if there was like an Olympic god uh, structure for metal, or at least heavy metal back in the day, definitely Judas Priest, in my opinion, would be the Aries. Yeah, um, and Rob Hofford was, you know, especially in that time, was hitting notes that no other singer could hit. Um, so I mean, it, they're they're just amazing, and I had the uh, I had the privilege of seeing them in, in concert twice. Definitely, definitely, and there's nothing wrong with that all respects them whatsoever. A revolutionary band that really did start their own revolution when it came to this music and social justice. Very much, very much. Well, my number two gets a little bit more classic on this side right here and a little story to be told by the late 1970s acdc began you know significant popularity you know especially with their first real big hit highway to hell but it wasn't to this album right here back in black where the band really felt prominence it really took a different level and a half of it i have to say is because this is the first time they were featuring the lead vocalist Brian Johnson, who replaced uh, Bon Scott after his latter death. Um, this album really just encapsulated what ACDC was. Those riffs, those tracks, that beat that boiled you up. It was always the tension before the song that this album get got you. You know, things like Shook Me All Night Long, you know, things like that just really just took your body to another level. Back in Black itself is such a great song with awesome riffs with awesome drums the vocal styling as well too is just so raspy and rich and grimy and it just it spewed out metal music it was in your face and i think in my opinion one of the best acdc albums of all time wow as a number two that's interesting (laughs) (laughs) i'll be completely honest acdc is one of my least favorite bands (gasps) only I can appreciate what they've done. Um, I'm a bigger fan of um, Bon Scott uh, than I am Brian Johnson. I mean, I, Brian Johnson was a great replacement. I mean, he really was because he still has that. Uh, Brian Johnson, you can tell the difference between the two, but Brian Johnson has that, like, uh, uh, very raspy, um, probably smoked since he was, like, six years old kind of voice. <laughs> um, but, like... I felt, I mean, uh, ACDC, I mean, was uh, what they did with their music, uh, I mean, it was iconic because ACDC, they were trying to be that high voltage rock and roll band and their music really, um, really uh, reflected that, especially with their stage presence. Uh, I mean, you got, uh, uh, what's his fucking name, you know, rolling around on stage. Uh, <laughs> you know, like, like who the fuck does that, especially in like a schoolboy's? Uh, outfit i mean <laughs> you don't you don't you don't see that so um yeah uh you know with with, with angus young just like just going ham on stage like that uh it's uh, I, i'll give him their credit but it's one of my least favorite bands you know acdc is, is a very diverse event because it brings different genres together hard rock heavy metal and arena rock which really was taking 
a note in that era of rock and roll. You know, going from the 80s, you know, late 70s of Kiss going on to the 80s, arena rock, hair metal, if you will, really was taking over. And I feel like ACDC was one of the forefathers going into that, you know, having hyper energetic riffs. The live performances were do or die. It was all about the performance and their music, even on a disc or a record or wherever you want to play it on a, on a tape for those who had Walkmans back then as well too, like I did, you know, it, their music was so just, it brought you out of your seat. In my opinion, in my opinion, it took me out of whatever mood I was in and brought me into a more positive mood. And a lot, a lot of times you don't get that in metal. Metal kind of suits your mood, and I definitely understand that. If you're in a gloomy mood, hell, there's some uh, metal songs from Pantera could get you going. But in my opinion, this style of metal really got me to like a positive light. You know, it made me want to get up and dance, and maybe want to you know be positive, and maybe want to take the next step out of my door and say, you know what, I can fucking do this. Fuck yeah, let's go on, let's go crazy. And I think it was that high energy that really got me going, especially with this album alone. This album. Back in Black, that song Back in Black, that single, really, it just gave me chills. <laughs> ooh, ooh, I, 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 I'm not going to make you suffer with this that much right here. I know you're not the biggest fan. No, 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 I'm fine with it. Um, uh, if I do have to give credit to an ACDC album, um, it's going to be Dirty Deeds, Done Dirt Cheap. And one yeah. reason because you know um when we talk about you know what makes a, a, a metal album great um it has to go with everything like every little detail and i can always specifically remember the cover album for um dirty deeds under cheat like it has uh that random group of people and like their eyes are covered covered with like a black bar i specifically remember seeing that on a cassette tape um you know randomly in my brother's room and and i was looking at it i was like acdc you know like what is this again that's when i was first exploring uh you know the genre of rock because i i came from straight up rap and r&b you know growing up because i hung around with my friends a lot and then when i started listening to what my family was into i was like this is amazing <laughs> so yeah <laughs> Well, moment of truth, man. I want to hear what is your numero uno. So before I get to my number one, uh, let me throw in some some nods into there. You know, some uh, some honorable mentions. Um, Please do. Uh, my first honorable mention, I'm going to give it to uh, Slipknot's debut album, their self title. Why? Because Slipknot did a lot for a group of uh, people that felt outcasted by society, outcasted by music, because there was nothing really to relate to. Um, you have uh, something that was new as well. You have a band of nine members with nine different talents, you know, getting this uh, uh, collage of sound and you get a band like Slipknot. Uh, they had that, that real crazy 90s angst, um, hate, um, and just true organic anger and, and emotion, but in a way that you can listen and reflect rather than act out on your emotion. Um, they're a band that still goes strong today, and they're a band that really delves deep into uh, what their music is and what it means to people. Again, you have you have a DJ, you have a keyboardist, you have two guys banging the shit out of beer kegs to give you a, a great uh, a combination of sound. So uh, I have to give them their nod. Uh, another nod I'm going to give is still in that same period was um, I don't want to give it to Korn's self-titled album either, 
I'm going to give it to their um, Follow the Leader album because Follow the Leader, um, new, new Metal gets shit on a lot um because of its style but uh corn's follow the leader album had a great mixture that actually worked unlike a band like limp biscuit because i will never ever ever give any kind of credit or appreciation to limp biscuit ever because that's just a horrible period <laughs> uh, of, of, of music and i can't believe that people the people who listen to uh limp biscuit uh will always have a leader of Mountain Dew by their side. I'm sorry. Um, and probably have that stupid Fox sticker on the back of their fucking raised <laughs> truck. <Yeah. laughs> uh, their fucking raised dually. Um, but uh, Korn's uh, uh, Follow the Leader it had a great mix of heavy and like a very disturbing, unsettling kind of sound. And then it had a great mix of hip hop um, with uh, the song. Um, uh, what was that one song? Children of the Corn that featured Ice Cube. It was yeah. a great, 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 great mix. Um, you know, and Jonathan Davis has been very open about that. He's never been a big metal fan. Um, he's always been a more of a hip hop kind of uh, R and B artist, but you know he knows how to write a good rock song. And it's only because he. Uh, one thing that I've always loved about Corn is that they've always had the best chorus lines. They really did. When it comes to the chorus, like that's where Jonathan Davis really shines. And Jonathan Davis is one of my favorite artists of all time. Um, I, I love those picks with Slipknot and Corn. Uh, Honestly, they deserve every bit of promise uh, and love they and respect that they that are are given to them. Honestly, um, the other the other uh, two nods I can give because it's really hard because I love them both equally um, is System of a Down, Steal This Album, and Toxicity. Um, hands down, one of one of the greatest bands of all time, especially for its time, because um, they were a band that wasn't afraid to be vocally political. Um, same thing with um, uh, Rage Against the Machine. Uh, you had a band like Three Doors Down that tried to do it, and then they just they just slipped because, I mean, Three Doors Down just sucks. I'm sorry, I would never... It's <laughs> such a fucking... Like, oh, yeah, let's make a military song. Let's, let's go country style and praise our patriotism. Like, no, <laughs> get the hell out of here. Um, but uh, Steal This Album was like a great... Uh, uh, I mean, and just the idea of it, because that's where, um, you know, pirating became like really, really big and was really taking off. And so, you know, their response was like, okay, you know, here's your album cover that looks just like a fucking burnt disc and in toxicity, toxicity from beginning to end is just a great fucking album, great music, a very different kind of mixture of a, uh, one of the first bands to give you like a Middle Eastern kind of sound with your music, uh, Again, like the uh, system of a down will go down in history as one of the best con contributors to metal. But my number one pick, my number one pick, I'm going to have to give it to Black Sabbath's self-titled album, their first album. Woo! Because, so, that is because Black Sabbath has, has to be given the title of the forefathers of metal. I mean, they are really brought dark, heavy metal to life they took the idea of the like um that satanic um very occultish kind of style and gave it very uh, an unsettling sound with uh spooky lyrics and you know music that just 
made you feel, especially I can only imagine when, you know, when you were on drugs at the time, you know, hearing it for the first time, you were like freaking out, like what the fuck's going on? Um, Geezer Butler, the, 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 the bassist, um, he talked about how, you know, back in their early days or, you know, when they were making that first album, he went and painted a whole bunch of upside down crosses in his room. And so when he when they were writing the music, you know, they would surround themselves in that kind of environment, you know, and that and you can hear it. You can see it. You can see it in that the, the, the cover art for that album just has that really creepy picture that looks like a fucking um, uh, 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 What's that one painter? Um, I can't really Picasso. think of it. And I don't, not Picasso, uh, the other guy. Um, Leonardo. No. Michelangelo. No. The motherfucker that comes here. <laughs> <laughs> Raphael. Um, yes. <laughs> 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 um, uh, no, the motherfucker that cut his ear. What was his name? Oh, Van Gogh? Yeah, like it, it kind of almost gives you like a, it's almost like a, a, a dark Van Gogh kind of painting, you know. Right, brutal, as Nathan Explosion would say. Um, <laughs> um, so you know, these these were people that were inspired by um, uh, Mr. Crawley. Uh, what was his first name? Um, damn it, I just had it in the tip of my tongue. Um, you know, creepy guys like that. So yeah, um, Tony Iommi um, is going, like when 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 he him and Ozzy themselves. I mean, when they, when you know they finally kick the bucket, um, it's going to be devastating. It's going to be a huge loss to the world. Tony Iommi. I mean, yeah, he wasn't the fastest guitar player, but he was he's the one of the most talented uh, because you know he knew how to write a good lyric. I mean, a good, a good lick. You know, whether it be a chorus line, a bridge, uh, just going ham on solos. And, you know, when they continued without Ozzy, it was hit and miss. But, I mean, once they got Deal into the mix and they created Heaven and Hell, that's some of the best Black Sabbath that you've got. Um, but their original album, again, they that made them the forefathers of metal and what metal was going to be. And when you talk to a lot of artists now, they will give them that nod and saying, they were the ones that started it off, and I will agree with that. Uh, 10 out of 10, I agree with you. I think Black Sabbath is the forefather of metal music with Ozzy. Um, really, at, at, at the time, too, Ozzy really wasn't you know, the focus. It was more of a group at that time that just was making an impact. And I think the group alone shook waves from the pond all the way seas, you know, from, you know, you know, the, the lands of Great Britain at the time, England, um, Scotland, you know, playing those live shows. But it was, you know, the power riffs, the power chords, the dark undertones of their music that really just made its way to the States and blew everybody out the water, if you will. Yeah, 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 really. Uh, and I can only imagine uh, what, it, what, what it would have felt like at that time to have that album released. And so you're given something like, dude, let's put this shit on. And, you know, your mind's just blown from there. You know, you know that, that right there, that's like one of my favorite picks right there. I don't know if I can even top that right now, honestly. But I'm going to try. <laughs> I have some honorable mentions. Um, we'll go more recent to, to the end. I only got three honorable mentions. Um, 
2006 to 2007's Fall of Ideals by All That Remains is such a great album with a mixture of soft ballads and metal music. All That Remains is such an intricate band. Very, very different band for that generation. But things like The Calling and Not Alone and It Dwells in Me are great songs. You can listen to them. You can bang your head to them. It's only about 40 minutes of an album, but you know what's one of my favorite metal albums of all time? Um... Ace of Spades, you know, Motorhead, you know, such a great, great band with a great hit in that album. Ace of Spades is a great song, but things like, you know, Live to Win, uh, Shoot You in the Back, you know, Bite the Bullet, The Hammer, Jailbait, those are awesome songs as well, too, in their own right. And it doesn't get the love that it should. It's one of my favorite Motorhead albums. I'm sorry, like, I don't, I don't cut you off the shit on you right there but like i've never been a motorhead fan oh god lemmy's rolling in his grave right now he can roll all the fuck he was like i can can understand that like yeah he was a cool dude and like um i saw a documentary and it kind of helped me like understand like their importance of you know when they had came out as a band but like motorhead just never resonated with me and never reached out to me on the on a very soulful le- level that like other bands do, but continue. Don't shit on my on my <laughs> rock and roll legends that are mainstream, okay? <laughs> I got one more mainstream and honorable mention. You know what? Fuck it. I'm gonna go with Destroyer by Kiss. Their second album is one of my favorite albums. I love that album and just the fucking the album artwork itself. I mean. Yes. I want that as my shower curtain. I want it as my fucking sun, my, uh, sun thing in my car. Like, I, I just, that is, is a great album. Great pick on that one. All the songs on that album, Detroit Rock City, of course, God of Thunder, Flaming Youth, Shout Out Loud, Beth, all these songs you can listen to on repeat. It's Beth. an album. Beth's a great fucking song. How dare you? <laughs> I didn't say I just said fucking Beth. I mean, come on. Like, Every time that comes on, you have to finish singing it. Come on. Exactly. <laughs> this album, though, as my number one, kind of throws the rule book out of the Kiss rule book out of the window. Uh, it pisses on it, takes the shit on it, and lights it on fire. It really is one of the most um, outstanding pieces of work when it comes to metal uh, history. And even though they are a mainstream band, people do shit on this band because. Um, they take all the notoriety when it comes to metal music. It's still, in my opinion, is one of the best pieces of artwork from this band. It encapsulates all their rage, their 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 fears, their their loathings, their wants, their needs into one album. And by this time, especially with albums already under their belt, but tragedies as well too under their belt. Metallica in 1991 was at the peak of their success when they unleashed their self-titled album, Metallica, a.k.a. better known as the Black Album. Oh my god, you just, you just, you just started a mob, dude, and I'm not going to defend you from that, but continue. <laughs> I don't care. People could come at me left and right. I feel that this album had great music that really showed the pain and torture that a lot of these guys were going through. 
whether they were high, whether they were drunk, whether they did not know what the fuck they were doing inside the recording studio. It has some of the best iconic songs you can hear from Metallica. Enter Sandman alone is one of rock and roll's truest oldest and most remembered hits when it comes to metal music. Sad But True is such a depressing song, a, a sad look at your own reflection in the mirror. The Unforgiven is such a sad song as well, too. You can see the pain. You can see the devastation that these men were thinking about, the loss that they had, the sacrifices that they make on the road. It was a true self-reflection of what it is to be a rock and roller and what it is to be a metalhead in that time frame. Coming from the 80s, going into the new century with, um, well, going into the 90s um, with a new, um, I guess, chip on their shoulder because music is not the same. You know, you had the influence of grunge in the early 1990s, and it was a lot to deal with with a lot of people. People were like, well, metal's dead, you know, that grunge punk music is what we're talking about now. So it was up to people like Metallica, like Panthera, like, in a way, Judas Priest, in a way, in a way too, to really keep on pushing what metal really was, and this album dropped a bomb on a lot of people. It really did. You know, I, I, you have a great argument for that, and I do, because um, when you when you really look at the, you know, between the lines, I mean, there is a lot of pain in that album, and I think that's another reason why it is called the Black Album, and, you know, it, it has that kind of just emptiness into it, um, instead of just naming it, you know, which is like Metallica South Album, I mean, why not? Um, it, it really is an album with a lot of pain into it, and you know that is really um, when, when you have a, a album based on true, raw, and organic emotion, you have an organic sound. Um, so I, I will give it that. You know, it, it's 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 such a memorable album, not because, you know, Enter Sandman kind of drowns everything else out, but it was out at the time as well, too, where Metallica was reaching such success, only to have such loss in their, in their lives. You know, with the passing of different members in their band, with the transitions as well, too, with the drug abuse, with the alcoholism, with the self-reflection, with failing marriages, with failing relationships, it was just in caps in one little room and raw emotion being taken out. Songs like Struggle Within, you know, A Friend of Misery, things of those, uh, that nature. People don't remember those songs because they're deep, they're meaningful, and they hit you somewhere where you don't want to be hit when it comes to metal music. Yeah, but they're also dicks because they treated, they treated Jason Newstead like shit. I mean, they did. you know, like, like, can you imagine being the guy that has to come in and be your basis and, and replace not even replace, because you know you'll never replace what, you know, uh, Cliff Burton was and what he meant to them. But you're the guy that has to take, this, take the throne. You know, somebody has to do it. And he was the guy that did it. So the way that they treated him was just like, um, that was just unnecessary. I mean, I get it. You know, it was in the, in the, in the field. But, you know, that didn't, it didn't end there. I mean, it continued, you know, within the next couple albums, you know. Uh, apparently, they even stopped him from doing his own shit. Yeah, but Kirk is not a bad guitarist either. You got to give Kirk some credit where credit's due. He's a fabulous guitarist. Oh, yeah. It's the Filipino. He's good at math and can... No, <laughs> Uh, anyway, I know there's far, I guess, better albums and people's opinions when it comes to this. You know, Ride the Lightning and things of that nature. People do love those albums for the thrash of it. But, Is that what you say? 
Oh, no, I said Red Lightning is great, but, uh, you know, for the hard, heavy, really emotion-grabbing, um, I, 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 I will give you that nod. Listen, this album was one of the last good albums, because after this, you got Load and Reload, okay? So, it, it, my it, friend will argue that with you. He stop it. Really- Load is a piece of shit. Hey, Until It Sleeps is a great song, though. I think that one was on Reload. I don't remember which one it was, but oh, Until It Sleeps. <laughs> I love Unforgiven 2. And then there's Unforgiven 3. Now that's where I draw the line. <laughs> there's only so many times you could be Unforgiven, I guess, right? Right. <laughs> uh, well, but. In- I don't know. I, I feel it was just a, a healthy way of looking at rock and roll in the 90s as well, too. Um, this album is really what metal was really going through, in my opinion. You know, metal was suffering. There wasn't a lot of great metal at the time when it came to the early 90s with the transition. You had hip-hop really taking over everything. You had grunge really taking over everything. You had a younger punk scene that was taking over as well, too. Different forms of music different explosive bands. You know, Seattle was the forefront uh, front of rock and roll in the, in the early 90s. So a lot of metal bands were kind of going through the wayside. wayside. I mean, hell, um, Guns N' Roses' second album was in 1990, and it did not do nearly as well as Appetite for Destruction. So um, I felt like it, it, this album right here really put a stamp on what it was to be in the 1990s for metal music, early 90s. Yeah, no, 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 you're completely right. Um, and kind of bringing up on that topic, you know, what I wanted to say, you know, um, and, and I wouldn't, I would ever say that rock or metal is dead, because it's not, it's still alive, but I mean, it is struggling and has continued to struggle. And so um, one of the reasons why I love, uh, there's not a lot of bands now that are really putting effort into, you know, why metal is such a great genre, you know, and, and there's, there's a reason why I had to go up, you know, and make write an article about why metal is good and how it can relate to the gay community and how I have to reach out to the gay community to get them to appreciate, you know, because of, you know, what it is and what it stands for. But uh, one of the reasons why, uh, one of the most successful bands right now is Ghost. Why? Because they take a lot of elements that what made metal music good to begin with. Um, they have that satanic appeal. They have that, you know, he treats the stage more like a theater. He does, you know. Wait, um, not to cut you off, Jake. Uh, can you just come into the mic just a little bit more so we can hear you a little more clear? Okay, how about now? Perfect. Go for it. Okay, um, but yeah, no, um, Tobias Forge, I mean, he's a, he, he's a true genius of, of, of uh, music right now. Um, and, you know, he's even talked about um, how metal bands are failing at just trying to, uh, uh, they're not putting the effort because, you know, they're really not, especially now when you have a lot of uh, hardcore bands, a lot of uh, grindcore bands, and, you know, just the core side of, of metal. Um, all it is is just like continuous um, double bass drums, and you know, uh, you know, some some licks here, some licks there, but nothing to really go along with it. You know, there's no stage presence. Like I enjoy listening to um, Bullet for My Valentine, but they are one of the most boring bands to see live. Uh, every time I look at the singer, I, I always just kind of think of early James Hetfield. 
no energy on stage. And I was like, what the fuck? Um, that's what a lot of bands are now. I mean, they're just, I feel like they're just trying to make harder and faster music when there's no need for that. You know, it's not just about how fast and how long you can stay double, double bass drumming. You know, there's got to be a lot of thought into your art. And uh, Ghost is able to do that. That's why I love them so much because, yeah, it's a little bit funny. Their, their songs are a little bit weird. They're kind of like early ghoulish. They have like a very early 80s sound. Um, but he puts a lot of uh, effort and, and detail into his music. And again, with that stage presence, um, another thing that he's done um, that really also gets shit on is he bought female artists into uh, the band. So you got them backup singing and you have them uh, killing it on fucking keyboard. And he has a key card. The fucking, uh, there's a couple of songs where she comes out with a fucking key card. Nobody does it anymore, but he does. And it's refreshing to see that. But you know, you still have great female artists who get shit on just because they're female artists. And that's a huge, um, that's a huge issue with metal music. Like, uh, I'm not a big uh, Evanescence fan, but... If you're to speak into the mic just a little bit more, I'm sorry, man. Okay, no. Um, how about now? There perfect. Okay. Sorry, I'm using a headset. <laughs> um, yeah. Um, I'm, not a, I'm not a huge Evanescence fan, but Amy Lee's a great, great, great singer. She's a great artist. I mean, she's a great writer. Um, Otep. Otep is fucking crazy, um, but she's not afraid to be vocal about what she stands for. I mean, she's, uh, I don't think she's come out and say she is lesbian, um, but I mean, she's made songs, uh, which is another thing that you don't see often from metal, metal bands. She's made songs giving nod to the LGBT community. Oh, yeah. Otep. Otep is uh, fantastic. Flyleaf as well, too, is another great band as well. Um, just for women being in the metal community, Flyleaf is an inspiration as well, too, for a lot of girls that want to get into it. Hell, even if you go back into the 90s, early 2000s, Kitty was a great band. <laughs> Kitty? <laughs> Kitty scared me. I um, love Kitty. Kitty was just raunchy in all good ways. And fucking um, <laughs> uh, Avril Lavigne was supposed to be the softer side of that, but that, that you know, that way um, <laughs> um but yeah man i mean it, it, uh, there's a lot that's going on with metal now and it's just again i think people just got too comfortable but another uh issue with metal is you have metal elitists the guys who you know the people who the fucking cave trolls that's what they are they're just fucking cave trolls that just sit there probably on 4chan all goddamn day drinking their fucking um mountain dew and and eating the fuck out of uh not <laughs> you really out. hate mountain dew don't you he <laughs> <laughs> has no idea i fucking i hate mountain dew as much as i hate amf <laughs> <laughs> of how drunk I got off AMS and I would never, ever look at a blue drink ever again. <laughs> yeah, Mountain Dew is just a fucking drink of the devil. Um, <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, you know, there's there's a lot of uh, issues. And um, I think um, metal elitists are a detriment to metal music because, you know, they're not allowing bands to succeed all just because they're not... Uh, up to their standards, and which are just impossible standards, like more impossible than it is to just be gay in the gay world and try to pass people's standards when trying to date, and it's just bad. But um, continue. 
Nope, nope. That's really that about it right there. There's a plenty of bands that still are kicking in live today. You know, Zombie's still there. You know, some forms of Slipknot are still there. You know, there's there's fun bands still out there to really look at. You know, things like All the Remains. You know, there's there's fun. Say it again. Yeah, I was gonna say, but you know, they 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 all have to hang their hat at some point. At some and point, when yeah. you know, what are we gonna be left with? And I don't think that we really that that uh, these you know, younger bands now are really looking into that. Uh, I, I don't think many of them want to carry the torch. And unfortunately, we're very much in a PC generation. I'm not someone who really cries about PC, the politically correct way too much. I don't. That's not really my thing. But, you know, the things that people got away with in the 80s and 90s when it came to music, you know, the Mansons, the Zombies, the Black Sabbath, the Aussies, you know, really made a name for themselves for being outlandish. Mm-hmm. We could take those liberties in, in this day and age where, you know, people could um, um, call the cops on you for having a barbecue. So it's kind of tough these days. <laughs> or, or, or being at a pool in your own apartment complex. Um, yeah, man. Yeah. Um, lemonade Linda over here is calling me because I'm selling lemonade. Fuck her. <laughs> um, but... That's the thing, though. You get so if that's the case, though, you know, just do what Meadow has always done and evolve. Work with what you have, and 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 still be able to put out something that's gonna have meaning. And I mean, yeah. So I mean, we were able to get 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 away with it back then because that's what life was back then. But there's so much more that you can talk about now, but the music's just not doing it. Like I mean I, I love me some guttural shit. I mean I, I've gotten to some pretty um heavy, real like real guttural and real like um uh what's the word I'm looking for? It's like brutal shit. But I wanna go back to where I'm getting like a crisp, beautiful voice. I love me some streaming, but like this other there is now, and it's just like we're I'm not a huge fan of all of oh, that. You're pretty far uh, right now, man. Say it again. Um, I'm not a huge fan of Oliver's site, but. I can appreciate Bring Me the Horizon now. I couldn't back in the day, but listening to it now, comparing it to what I, what other options I have, Bring Me the Horizon has really um, given a great mix, similar to what um, All That Remains did. Uh, or no, no, um, As I Lay Dying. As I Lay yeah, Dying. there you go. Yeah, as I lay dying, you know, to where, you know, he can sing and scream. You don't have a lot of that now. Like, it's just pure screaming with no substance. And, you know, I, I defend, I'm the first one to defend screaming because, again, I love it. You know, it's, it's a very emotional, powerful thing to do. But when, they, when it's just like a constant thing, just that, uh, it, it loses itself and it becomes stale. I just think that we need um, another band, you know, damn the man, fight the power, rage against the machine, and be the renegades of funk. Until then, we're going to have to rely on what we are used to in the past, and hopefully something comes to present with that. Hopefully something does. Well, um, I know um, people can reach you on your podcast, uh, Anxiety Live. Can you um, tell people or elaborate a little bit more on that? Yeah, so um, Anxiety Live is just, uh, honestly, it's just a kind of a bullshit kind of uh, podcast. I talk a little bit about everything. Um, eventually, I'm going to start adding some more uh, opinion and a little bit of more political uh, side to it. But right now, it's just a bunch of fun. Uh, the reason why I do it, the reason why it's called Anxiety Live is because 
uh, anxiety is a bitch. And it's something that I deal with every day. And I've always wanted to make a podcast, but never was able to. But, but uh, you know, just kind of getting over myself and getting over the fear and showing that I'm not going to let it be me. You know, I get anxiety live. Uh, my most recent episode is about this new season premiere of Better Call Saul. So if you're a fan, check it out. And let's cut this. And definitely, I believe you can find that podcast here on Anchor. Download it on uh, whether it's your iOS or if it's uh, your Play Store on the um, Android apps. And I believe it's on iTunes as well, too. Yeah, it's on iTunes, Spotify. Uh, it's, it's on several platforms. Uh, just type in Anxiety Live, big old uh, exclamation, part, uh, exclamation point at the end, and you should be able to find me, Jacob Alexander. Rock and roll, man. And, of course, if you want to uh, find Sideshow Conversations, also Anchor, Podcast Republic, and, of course, on uh, iTunes as well, too. Uh, Facebook page as well, too, for Sideshow Conversations. Uh, Twitter account, Val Cisco. Instagram does have Sideshow Conversations. Come on board. Have a good time. Rate, review, subscribe. And also, I want to give a great shout-out. I didn't mention this yesterday on the podcast that I was on, but uh, a special happy belated birthday to you, brother. Oh, appreciate it, man. Thank you. <laughs> 27, man. That's like 47 in gay years now. So. <laughs> May the metal gods champagne over your body. <laughs> always. <laughs> anyway, man, it's been real. You have yourself a good day and always stay real. Always. Bye-bye.